Well, I'm going to invite you to open up to the book of Romans this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And we're going to be looking through verse 8. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Uh, please don't hesitate to uh, take a Bible from us. We want you to be able to follow along and, and see the actual words in Scripture, which are more significant, obviously, than what I have to say. Um, and hopefully what I say will be through in and through these words. So I want you to see that. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you could take this one with you. We want you to, to take this with you and, and be encouraged. Have it on your nightstand. It's page 655 in that particular Bible. Now, as you find your place... Uh, I'm excited to be starting a new series. I've been in mourning at the end of our previous series in the book of Ephesians. I just loved studying the book of Ephesians, so uh, really sad to see that go, but excited for what's ahead for us. I think the study in the spiritual gifts is a great kind of next step for us, because in the book of Ephesians, we were given this lofty, beautiful vision of the church and the purpose of the church. The church is the vehicle through which God is displaying his glory Uh, It's the contact place for people to meet the person of Jesus Christ so that they can uh, experience the transformative love of God in Jesus Christ. Um, Races are coming together in the church. We studied all this in the book of Ephesians. Beautiful things are happening uh, in the church. It's this lofty vision. And the amazing thing is that a lot of that vision is made real because... People in the local body are stepping up to serve and to carry out ministry and to function within what we call this giftedness that God gives us for the local community. And so we want to spend some time over these weeks exploring what the gifts are. It's a large part of how the vision of God for the church is realized. And so this text this morning is going to be an introduction. What we're going to do is introduce the spiritual gifts today. And then over the next weeks, we're going to be actually looking at the individual gifts and exploring uh, how they function within community. So would you turn your attention to uh, Romans 12, verse 3. And in that, Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And this morning, we're going to spend most of our time looking at the first part of that. We're not going to get into the individual gifts today. We'll start that next Sunday. I want to give a kind of an introduction around this theme of our working together and the significance of what God is doing by creating a community in which people work together through a kind of spiritual giftedness to be able to serve one another. So my main theme is let's work together, and I want to look at this in in a couple of movements. The first is to get the picture of what God is doing in the church, and the second one is for us to get the appropriate posture. So what kind of posture would lead us 
to be most effective in this critically important ministry. We're going to explore that in the second part. So first of all, let's get the picture. And, and the picture really here is of members all serving and ministering to one another. Look with me in verse five, 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So we're members of the body, but we're members of each other as well. You know, I've got to camp out on this term for just a second, membership, because um, we don't have usually a very good understanding of what it means to be a member. When we think of being a member, we think of Costco, right? Uh, you're a member at Costco. Uh, you get a special card, and it has your picture on it, and they let you in, and you can buy stuff there, which is cheaper than at other places. And you're members uh, of the other people, and what do the other members try to do? They try to run you over in the parking lot and um, steal your space. And then once you get inside, they have these carts that are overladen with Costco-sized goods, and you've got to dodge your way through. That's what membership means in our minds, right? Um, that's our experience with membership. Or you go on a website, and they want you to be a member so you can be a part of their deal, and they can send you lots of emails, um, and, and, and you can get a cheaper price. What we have happening here is the commoditizing of a concept. In other words, they've taken this idea of membership and transformed it so that somebody could make money. Now, I'm not really knocking Costco. I, I shop at Costco. I'm not trying to say that. But I'm, what I am trying to say is the conception of membership in the Scripture is much more rich, much more profound, much more incredible than what we have often experienced in our world today. And we've got to get our minds around that and start to sink deeply in that if we are going to be effective in the ways that we're talking about this morning. It's not just about shopping in the same place. It's about actually being part of the same organism. Now, the word member can, can apply usually to the parts of the body. And so you see how my hand is attached to my arm and the integral way in which they, they become one so they can function together. When we're talking about membership in the body of Christ, we're talking about that kind of extreme union, people being connected together to be able to function together as one. Another way in which we talk about membership or the scripture uses the idea or people in the day of Paul would have used the idea of membership is to think about a musical instrument or musical parts. And so to a, a, member, a member could be used to refer to uh, somebody who's playing an instrument among a group or somebody who is doing the melody while other people are doing the harmony. I love, you know, as Miguel is leading us in worship, and I love sitting in the front because nobody can really hear me. I can sing as loud as I want, and I can explore with different kinds of um, melodies and harmonies to go with it. And, and that's the concept. You, you hear the music, and there's intertwining of various voices and they're moving in and out from each other. And sometimes they're singing the same thing. And sometimes they're singing. And together, it's, you know, when it's going well, it creates this beautiful harmony, this beautiful music. That's what membership is. That's the richness of this concept in the New Testament. Not simply having a card so you can shop at a particular place. And so we've got to work hard, being the people that we are in the culture that we're in, we've got to work hard to recapture what the true essence is of membership, what it's like to be in community with people and have your lives so intertwined that it's like a musical piece and there's different parts and they're working together and mutually supporting one another. Or like the body where these different parts are so integral, sometimes you can't even tell how one part moves into the other because they're so connected. That's what membership is and that's God's vision for the church 
that we would be members of one another. Now, let me remind you of what God is doing in the church, okay? We saw this in the book of Ephesians. He's displaying his glory, not only on earth, but in the heavens. So you remember that as God brings the church together, disparate people who are like living stones, who are fashioned into a temple, which is not a physical building, but a community. As God builds his church in that way, he dwells in the midst of it. And his wisdom, his salvation, his uh, glory is displayed in this community. And not only is it emanating to the world, but the angels in heaven look down and they see what God is doing in the church and they are inspired to praise God. It fuels the worship of angels. And in the church, God is drawing people into relationships. So all the way back to the beginning of time and in Genesis, the fall of human beings, when uh, they turned away from God, the world has been suffering and groaning under the weight of that sin and the, the walking away from God and the, the heavenly beings and, and the people of earth have been wondering, God, what are you going to do about our fallen, broken world? Turns out, God's amazing, miraculous strategy is the church to bring all different kinds of people together and through Christ to bring healing from sin and to bring them back into relationship with him. So God is literally overturning the effects of the fall in this community. So when we talk about what God is doing in church, we have to stay on this lofty plane. Amazing things are happening. God's plan for the church is lofty and beautiful and wonderful and special and powerful and all of that. Now what's remarkable is that he does all of that through an organism filled with very normal, sinful, regular, a lot of times average people. So this incredible thing that he's achieving, he's achieving through regular average sinful people who have flaws and imperfections, who are broken, who suffer in life, who struggle. He's using those kind of people to achieve this incredible vision. And it's remarkably democratic. And by that, I mean that in the, the initial meaning of that term, which means power in the people or people power. So I'm not talking about the party in particular here. I'm talking about the the concept. God's means for achieving this goal is remarkably democratic. He puts power in people. So that the New Testament teaches us that all have this thing that is called a spiritual gift. So when the community gathers together, and not just on Sunday, but wherever it gathers together, each person comes with a spiritual gift, a a power from God to be able to bless the rest of the members that they are uniquely intertwined with. You ever gone to a party and you showed up and people were bringing gifts and you didn't have a gift? And you felt bad? Like, oh no, I'm supposed to bring a gift. I don't have one. You're sitting there like this. That never happens in the body of Christ because each person is given a gift by God to bring to the party that we're having. All right. You may wonder, well, is that really true? Do I have a gift for sure? Look in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So each person, according to the grace given to them, 
says, let us use them. And then he goes on to detail the gifts. If we were to look in 1 Corinthians 12, we would see a very strong statement about this idea that everyone has a gift. Let me read it to you. Paul writes, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, what happens when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ is that there is a kind of a cleansing that takes place, right? We're all separated from God because of sin. We come to faith in Jesus Christ who takes onto himself uh, the consequences of our sinful behavior and the wrath of God against sin, which is a good thing because it means that heaven is a place of perfection. All of that is poured into the person of Jesus Christ. And now we are forgiven. We're cleansed. And having been cleansed, now space has been made for God to take up residence in us. That's what happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you're still in process with that, just know that this is the first stage. The big deal, the, the big question that you're grappling with is, do I want to place my faith in the person of Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior? And once that is done, then you have been cleansed and the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is brings gifts brings you a gift. So every, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, each person who's part of the body of Christ, who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, has a gift, every single one. And scripture lists many different kinds of gifts. Um, let me put up the, the list of different kinds of gifts uh, that we've been... So in the New Testament, you see all these different kinds of gifts uh, that are, are, are present. Wisdom, knowledge, discernment, teaching, prophecy, exhortation, helps, administration, serving, faith, mercy, giving, apostleship, evangelism, pastoring, leadership, tongues, healing, miracles. Um, Probably this is not an exhaustive list, but these are the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. And each person who's come to faith in Jesus Christ has at least one, oftentimes more than one, gift to share with the community. And over the next weeks, we're actually going to break these down into groups of three, sometimes four, and explore them together. We're going to walk through them and try to understand what each one is. Because as we become educated and as we understand that, we're going to be able to release the gifts more fully into the community. Um, So we're going to be doing that next week. We're going to start, and we're kind of divided them into groups, will be the gifts of insight. So wisdom, knowledge, and discernment will be next week. And as we go through these, I want to encourage you to be praying about your ministry in the community of faith, your gifts. If you would like to have some help in that process, we have this thing called a spiritual gifts inventory on our discipleship website. Um, Those of you who don't know about our discipleship website, it's opiso. It's a word that means to follow, as in following Jesus, opiso.org. And on that, you can see right at the top tab, there's a spiritual gifts inventory. So you'll, you just answer some questions. And, you know, it's not like a computer, right? So machine, these things are much more uh, subjective than that. But it will help kind of position you to be able to understand maybe what are my spiritual gifts. So I encourage you to do that over this series if you haven't. Um, and then we're going to walk through these together. I, th- I think one of the things that... I've been noticing in the church is that in the past, maybe 10, 15 years ago, churches were really into the spiritual gifts and talking about it all the time. Everybody's taking these, these inventories to figure out what their gift was. And then you would take your, your spiritual gift inventory, you figure out what you have, and then you would get a particular role in the community. 
I think what's going on now is we're understanding that there's really something going on here that's a little bit uh, uh, different than that. That there, there's kind of the human side of the organization of the church, but there's the spiritual side. And, and that's what we want to kind of lean into this, that, that you don't have to have a title to be able to exercise your spiritual gift. That whenever you're gathered with the church, you may not even be knowing it sometimes, you're going to be exercising your gift. Now, when you look at all those gifts that are up there and you think about the community, if you're like me, you have a kind of a twofold impression of this. First of all, that's very beautiful. That we would have people gifted in these ways to be serving others in the community of faith. But it also looks a bit chaotic, does it not? And if you're in leadership in a church, if you're in a position like mine, it could feel a little bit chaotic. Oh no, who's going to organize and orchestrate all of that? All those different gifts. How do we know who's got, how do we empower them to to use their gift? Well, here's the, the profound realization that needs to happen. There's only one who can administer all the spiritual gifts. And it's not me. His name is the Holy Spirit. The giver of the gifts administers the gifts and orchestrates the church and organizes the church. So we sort of have this human structure going on, but there's something way more important going on, and that's the spiritual structure of the church. The the, the, the Holy Spirit has already gone before us to give people gifts and to begin to organize the community of faith so that people can live out their gifts. We do have two structures by necessity, In the church, we do have a human kind of a structure where, you know, people are given titles. I have the title of pastor. Um, uh, Brent Complin, who has stepped out for this service but was here, he's back. He's got the title of pastor. He's doing a particular ministry. Some are on the church council in our church. Some are home group leaders. And so we do have titles that we give to people in order to uh, enable them to do ministry. Um, But the, the problem is that sometimes we elevate the human structure above the spiritual structure, when actually it should be the other way around. In other words, the Holy Spirit is leading the church and giving out gifts. And as followers of Christ, we're to live into those gifts and to use them. And what should probably be happening is that the human structure and the titles are always chasing behind to keep up with what people already are already doing in ministry because of the giftedness that they have. What happens too many times is we, we get that reversed and we wait for titles and permission to ministry to other to do ministry to others. And in doing so, we're, we're squelching the Holy Spirit. That's pretty significant. We don't want to do that. We want to give this Holy Spirit free reign in our community to empower us and allow us and embolden us to minister one to another through the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. See, all the way through history, I mean, on, on one sense, it's kind of scary and maybe potentially chaotic when we think about all the people in the church using their gifts, everyone functioning in that way. It's, it's beautiful, maybe a little bit scary. But when you look through history, you see that over and over again, communities have always been the strongest 
when they've been democratic in that sense, when they've given power to others. So you go back and you look at, you know, the ancient Greeks. They defeated the Persians over and over again. Why? Why was this Greek miracle taking place? Well, most scholars think that it was because there was this sort of sense of ownership among the Greeks. When the, when the Persians would come, they didn't own property. They were just being told what to do by their almighty, powerful ruler. They didn't have any stake in, the, in what was going to happen. And when the Greeks met them, they were protecting their own personal farms and families and the cities that they were devoted to. And because of that sort of sense of ownership and responsibility, they met the challenge with a different kind of force than the enemy. So they defeated them, even though they had fewer numbers, over and over and over again. And you could, you could kind of do a whole study of history, and you would see that wherever organizations or entities or sports teams have that sort of democratic approach where they work together, then they're much stronger. Much stronger. And I'm just sort of saying to you that, that, that God invented that, and he started it in the church. And so we're to live into it. To, to allow our giftedness to come to the fore so that we can realize this incredible vision that God has for the body, for the church, to be this dynamic force in the world, a world that so desperately needs it, right? Today, do you feel that? The world needs a, a, a dynamic church that's living into the grace and truth of the gospel and, and sharing it with the world around us. We're never going to get there unless we allow the gifts to come to the fore. That's the way God intended it to be. So what's the posture then that would position us so that this, this great vision could, could happen and be more realized more fully? What posture should we take? And Paul teaches us about that right at the outset of this passage. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So it turns out that actually how you think about yourself is incredibly important in this whole process. The way that you think about yourself is very important in this whole posture. This is an interesting thing about human beings, right? We can actually get outside of ourselves and reflect on who we are. Both our strengths and our weaknesses, all of that. I mean, are there any other animals? I mean, does the bear walk around and say, get prideful because of their strength, but feel insecure about their being overweight, you know? Does the cheetah feel prideful about their speed and, and yet insecure about being kind of scrawny, you know? Um, we're the only ones who have this ability to kind of step outside of ourselves and look and reflect, and then, in a weird kind of a way, that shapes the way we move through the world. The way we view ourselves shapes our actions, what we do, how we live. And Paul is calling that out. He's saying, look, if this awesome vision is going to happen, then you have to have this proper conception of who you are. Now, he says very clearly, you're not to have too high of a conception. You don't have to say, well, my gift is better than, than everybody else's, or my role is more important, or I've got all these gifts. He says that very clearly, that not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Presumably, he also means we're not to think of ourselves too lowly, because 
He's been making this point here and elsewhere that everybody is given a gift. So we're not to diminish that gift that we're given. I think this is a great temptation for us. Sometimes we toggle between thinking too highly of ourselves and then thinking too lowly of ourselves, saying, well, I, you know, my gift doesn't, I don't really have a gift, or my gift really, the community doesn't really need me to step up and bring my gift to the table because I'm just, I'm not, I don't really matter that much. And, 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 and so we think too lowly of ourselves. So we, we toggle between thinking too highly and thinking too lowly of ourselves. What Paul says is we're to think soberly about ourselves. Sober judgment, and, and it's that same word, thinking about how you think you're supposed to think of yourself soberly. That means to have a sound mind, a reasonable conception of who you are, unclouded by pride on the one hand and false humility on the other hand. That's what it means to have sober judgment. And you ask, well, how do I get this self-perspective? And Paul tells us, he says, it comes according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, you may read that and think, first off, well, maybe God is giving different amounts of faith to different people. But that doesn't seem to be what Paul is really saying here. What, what seems to be a better understanding of what Paul is saying is that the faith provides a measure for you to evaluate yourself in a sober way. In other words, the gospel helps you to see yourself more clearly. That's what Paul is saying here, such that when you think of yourself, you may be tempted to diminish who you are, but then we have the gospel that says you're made in the image of God, and though you have sinned, Jesus gave himself for you. So you matter to God. You have value. At the same time, the gospel enables us to be excruciatingly transparent about our own flaws and sinfulness and failures. Because we know there's one, the one whose opinion matters the most of anybody in the universe, who will forgive us no matter what the reality is. You see the power of the the vision that comes by the gospel as we look at who we are? Neither do I slip down to the side where I don't matter and there's no value in me and I have nothing to bring to the table. Um, Nor do I go to the side that I'm so elevated that I have so much and so much to bring and I I get caught up in pride. The gospel has this refining sort of uh, power uh, to, to help us to see ourselves in a way that is what Paul characterizes as sober. And when that self perspective comes, when we when we know we have a gift but not all the gifts, we can come honestly and with integrity to the, to the table bringing our gift and sharing it with the people around us. And when a whole church does that, then stuff starts to happen. Then it becomes explosive. When the entire church comes to the table with that kind of sober self-conception, bringing their gift, not diminishing their gift, not over-elevating their gift, but bringing their gift, then stuff starts to happen. We, I think we just read it in this service that, that it says in 1 Peter, the very grace of God is dispensed to the body of Christ as people live out their giftedness. So we want more grace. 
then we need to live out our giftedness in community. And when that happens, you know, just watch out. Watch out for what God will do. Arthur Pearson was a pastor in the late 1800s, early 1900s from Detroit. And uh, he ended up in the UK and uh, he was there when Charles Spurgeon, you know, many of us, one of our favorite preachers, just the uh, prince of preachers, um, when he got sick and uh, was unable to preach and then he passed away. And they asked this man, Arthur Pearson, to step in. Um, just a wonderful, godly man, and, and he pondered uh, the spiritual gifts. And what he writes about the spiritual gifts is really practically the entire theology of spiritual gifts encapsulated into to one concise statement. And I want to share this with you um, because I think it'll be helpful for us as we go through this series. Here's what Arthur Pearson says about the spiritual gifts. Everyone has some gift, therefore all should be encouraged. So... You walked in here this morning, you wonder if you have anything to offer. Yes, you do. You have a gift. No one has all the gifts, therefore all should be humble. Okay? All gifts are for the one body, therefore all should be harmonious. All gifts are from the Lord, therefore all should be contented. All gifts are mutually helpful and needful, therefore all should be studiously faithful. If we've been given a gift... We should dig in deep to figure out what it is so that we can bring it forth. All gifts promote the health and strength of the whole body. Therefore, none can be safely dispensed with. All gifts depend on his fullness for power. Therefore, all should keep in close touch with him. Now, I'm guessing that one of these statements leaps out to you and touches a part of who you are. Maybe you need to be encouraged to bring your gift forward. Maybe you need to be encouraged to humble yourself and to see your gift in the light of the giftedness of your brothers and sisters around you. Maybe you wish you had a different gift and you need to be reminded this morning that all gifts come from the Lord and and there's to be a contentment in receiving the gift that you've been given to live that out and to live into it. Maybe you know what your gifts are, but you haven't been stewarding them well. You haven't been prayerfully searching the scripture to understand what it is that your giftedness is and then asking God to show you how you could use it in the community of faith. Maybe you have been thinking of your gift in a selfish sort of individualistic way and not realizing that the gifts are to be lived out in community. Maybe you're on the fringes of this this local body or you're a church near you and, and you're not diving in with both feet, both hands, to get involved. And so that's the call for you this morning. And then lastly, I think for all of us, what we need is the fullness and the filling that comes from the Holy Spirit to be able to live out the gifts in His power. Kind of makes sense that the empowerment of our giftedness is going to come from the power of the Holy Spirit. And it kind of makes sense that as God pours out His Spirit on us individually and collectively, then without us really even orchestrating it or knowing how, the gifts will rise to the surface and begin to shape our community more fully and and lead us deeper into that sort of explosive potential of the church. And so what I'd like to do as we start off 
this series today as our introduction. And as I close this introduction, I'd like to us to spend some time in seeking the Lord together. Can we, can we do that? Seek the Lord together in prayer and just asking of him that he would send the Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to live out the gift that we've been given, the gifts that we've been given in the community where we are. And let me just say something. So prepare yourselves to get kind of into prayer here, but let me just say something about that. When we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, perhaps the best way we can think about this is to be emptied. An empty vessel can be filled, right? So many times in Scripture, we see the example of the power of poverty of spirit, of being emptied so that we can be filled by the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus gives us that model. Um, In Philippians 2, he emptied himself. And we know that he was filled by the Spirit at the very beginning of his ministry. In the Gospels, we read about that. And as he was filled and carried out his ministry, then God exalted him. So there's, there's something to this idea of being empty. And another image or concept that helps us is to think of being low. The word for humility it means to be low. And, and I always think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying before he went to the cross. Do you remember he was just praying to the point of dropping uh, tears of blood? Um, and he was below the temple and he was below where all the action would take place the next day. He was humbling himself before God. There's something about making yourself low that makes you receptive to the Holy Spirit. People often talk about how water flows to the lowest place in the same way the Holy Spirit flows in to where there is lowliness, where we've taken that low posture. So I want to invite us individually, collectively, to seek the filling of the Spirit for this series that we're embarking on today. And I want to invite you to do that through prayer. So if you need to bow your head, you can do that. If you need to kneel down, you can do that. Whatever posture will help you to uh, get your soul and your body aligned in prayer. Um, We want to come before the Lord in prayer right now and to truly seek God together. Do you remember wherever two or three are gathered, gathered, there I am, we read. Um, and, And this is the body of Christ gathered together on a Sunday morning and the Spirit is present with us. And so we can seek Him together. And that's what we want to do right now. So let me just lead us in a prayer. God, we're hungry for more of you. We think about the explosive potential of the church. We think about times in history where you have broken through in the community of faith, where there's been revival. Even in dark places like where we live, we we know that the statistics say that this is the least church place in the country now. And yet we're not intimidated by those statistics because you are a powerful God and a good God. And we hunger for more of you in our lives. We hunger for more of you in our church in this place. And so we want to invite you to meet us, to infill us, to give us a a fresh feeling of your Holy Spirit for the work that you have before us right now. So we invite you to meet us. God, we know that part of that is taking a humble posture Um, being honest about our own sinfulness. And so we come before you this morning and confess our sin. We're so thankful that you don't 
keep track of iniquities. If you marked iniquities, no one could stand, the scripture says. And yet we don't want to take your grace for granted. So we come before you and we, 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 we admit before you that we have put idols that are not you in front of you to worship. Whether it be success or money or a particular relationship or whatever it is, we've placed idols. We've worshipped things that are not you in place of you. And would you forgive us this morning? We've not viewed ourselves in the appropriate way. We've been filled with pride sometimes, or we've been filled with self-hatred, and neither of them are the gospel. And so we confess our sin. We have not looked outward to the needs of this world and been the kind of people who are quick to share the gospel, to proclaim the truths, the grace and the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we ask your forgiveness this morning for being timid, And we've not looked with love on our brothers and sisters, the people in this room, that are members of us. We are members one of another. They're brothers and sisters. There's there's no greater union than can happen through Christ. And yet we are callous towards our brothers and sisters. And when there is need, we turn the other way or we walk away. Or when the the church corporate has a need, we, we, we wait for somebody else to address it. And we confess our, our lack of love this morning. We're so grateful that we have this promise that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can be honest about our sin because of the incredible grace we have in Christ Jesus. And this morning we celebrate that forgiveness and, and then we want to champion the vision that you have given the plan for your church. That you would take people like us, flawed as we are, imperfect as we are, and you would combine us together like stone upon stone, building a beautiful temple that will display your glory. Lord, we love that vision. We want to be a part of it. So we want to champion that vision. Would you, in and through us, make it possible? We can't. There's no way we can orchestrate all the gifts. There's no way we can administer the church We need the Holy Spirit to be the prime administrator. And we will catch up as best we can in a human sense. But we don't want to wait. We don't want to put that in front. We don't want to wait for titles and permissions to to love one another and serve and admonish and all the things that happen when our gifts are released. So let us champion your plan, Lord. And let us see the explosive potential of the church manifest in our very own setting as you call us forward. Use this series, we pray. We dedicate ourselves to you throughout this series to see you do a special work. And we pray all of this in the name of the one who gives the gifts, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. We're going to celebrate communion together, which is another picture, beautiful picture of the unity of the body of Christ. On the night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, Jesus took bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
As we always say, this table is open for all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we so, we're so happy if you're in a journey of discovery and you haven't made that decision yet. We invite you to, to consider uh, placing your faith in Jesus Christ today. There's no better time than right now. And if you, if you do do that, um, then this table is for you. Um, we invite you to take some time to pray. And maybe you want to go back and pray with somebody in the back corner there. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, maybe at your seat or maybe with a person next to you, you can confess sin or, or ask God to move in your life in a particular way. And then this is just a time of, of worship. We'll be singing and you can, you can engage in worship in that way. So God, we uh, open the table and we invite uh, everyone forward. We thank you that you stand with your arms open to receive us. As we walk down the aisle, we remember all the things for which you have forgiven us and, and the grace that you've extended to us. And, and as we move out back to our seat, we remember that you want to empower us, um, not just to be saved, but to be agents of salvation in the world as we proclaim the good news and as we do church together and live out the life of community. So would you empower us for that great work this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.